Good morning. You guys have a good Christmas? Are there kids in here or not? Did you have a good Christmas? Yeah? Tired still? Kind of? Wow. Did you have a good Christmas? Yeah. <laughs> Did we get what we wanted? Kind of? Man, I see a lot of disappointment today. If you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Thessalonians. It's a very short book. It's only three chapters long, but there's a lot in here for us today. So I'm going to take our opening moments here just to read our text. Uh, We are kind of, as we call it, parachuting into a text, and it's not always uh, fun or easy necessarily. But I think you'll see a lot of ties today. to what we've been covering this past month. But I hope today to be able to deliver it in such a way that you understand kind of the family unit aspect to our text and kind of give a little bit more of a robust family aspect to what we've been talking about really all month in Hebrews. And you heard Greg reading Hebrews earlier. There's a lot of tie-in from what the author of Hebrews is talking about to what Paul is talking about in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, So this is Paul's second letter to uh, the church at Thessalonica. It's a Greek city on the Greek peninsula. And he is writing to them a second time because the first time that he wrote them, he told them a lot about the end times, right? You read some of that. I don't know if you knew that, but the book of Thessalonians, both of them are what we would adults call eschatological in nature. It's end times bearing. It's not just Revelation. It's not the only end times book in the Bible. Thessalonians is. Even going into the Old Testament, we see Daniel also is as well. And so he writes to them, and they get kind of excited and all eager and everything, and they just, you know, quit their jobs and wait because that's what they're told to do, wait for Jesus to come. And so they get excited, and then he writes back to them and goes, no, 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 no. You have to keep working. You have to keep living. Jesus is coming back soon, but do life. Do life, all right? What is life supposed to look like? And he begins to outline that for them in 2 Thessalonians. So let's read our text. If you have your Bibles, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And let's read this entire uh, second chapter, kind of give us some groundwork. It says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders 
and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you. Brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. One big main question for today. One big main thing to walk away with. One big thing to work through. One big thing to kind of just put a pin, I think, on this year of preaching as we've been walking through Ephesians and, and so many other different, well, not really so many, but other things. We have one pin to kind of put in this cushion that we call 2015. And I don't presume necessarily to be able to wrap everything up and necessarily make it pretty, but I think it's one fundamental thing that we have to work through as a church and as families. And it's this. Does your family love the truth? Does your family love the truth? You know, I think about this week, and Christmas was terrific, wasn't it? I mean, you didn't sound entirely excited or you're already asleep, but I thought it was good. And I knew that, too, given what I've been proclaiming all month from this pulpit, that I was going to be challenged in my joy on Christmas. And I, I just knew that it was coming. It's, as preachers, we can't get up here and talk and talk and talk without getting tested in what we're talking about or having worked through it already before we get here. So I knew, having told you all month, to just find your hope and your joy in Jesus, that I was going to be challenged to find my hope and my joy in Jesus. And I, I think I passed with flying brown colors. It wasn't, it wasn't spectacular, but I made it through. Um, it really, it has been a good month, it has, and I'm thankful for what I have and where God has me. Uh, I, and on Christmas Eve, uh, me and the kids and Robbie and, and their kids joined us at, uh, at my old church for their Christmas Eve service in Vandalia uh, with my parents. And um, no, seriously, no knock against them, but I, I really love renovation. I love you guys. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Uh, I enjoyed catching up with some people there, but uh, I, I love where God has me. And life is going good. And I, for the most part, I've been practicing what I, I preach this month. It's a thing that's I've been working through, like I told you, for the past two years. It's near and dear to my heart as a deep struggle. Um, but I've been constantly kind of just waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, I, I heard the, the first one, which is that. I was like, I've got this going. <sighs> When's it going to fall? When's the other shoe going to drop? What's going to go wrong? What's going to test me in my joy? What's going to pull me away? What's going to, whatever it may be. I've just kind of been waiting for the other shoe to drop, and Nothing bad happened on Christmas. It was really a, a good, great day. It just wasn't what I wanted, dreamed, whatever. It didn't go exactly like I planned, right? And I've been telling you that I have it planned. I've got the presents all perfectly. We didn't open our presents until like 
9.30 that night, I think. Um, so all day I'm like, the presents are at home under the tree. The presents are at home under the tree. We didn't get up early enough. We had wrapping to still do. It just was, it was hectic, right? But it was exciting. Uh, it just wasn't what I planned, right? And what does Rusty want to do? Well, that's not necessarily the most important thing. What I did learn and what I did reflect on through the day was this. Christmas has simply just taught me that I'm not made for this place. That's, it didn't go bad. It was good. I enjoyed my time with my in-laws. I enjoyed my time with my family. I enjoyed my time with my family at home. It was a great day. It just wasn't what I planned. And I learned through Christmas and re was reminded from previous ones that I'm made for eternity. I'm made for eternity. Christmas is not going to deliver everything that I wanted to be. You know, as I was preparing my sermon, I was listening to the new Coldplay album, and there's a song on there called Fun. Pretty creative. Fun. It's about a relationship coming to an end, so it's kind of like country, but with better music. He knows that it's coming, and he rationalizes it, though, with this phrase. Well, at least we had fun. I hate that song. I hate it. It's an awful song, and not just because it's like country, but... I hate that song. I want more than fun. If I want fun, I'll ride a roller coaster. If I want fun, I'll watch Michigan lose. I want relationship. I want commitment. I want intimacy. I want more than fun. I want joy. That's what I'm after. I want joy in a relationship, not just a good time, not just to go out and have fun. I want something that's lasting. Because if I'm going to make an investment in something, I want to get a return on it, and not just a return of, woo, that was fun. It's got to mean something. It has to have meaning, but that's because I was created for meaning. I was created for eternity. All these other fun things are fun. That's why they're called fun, but they don't last. They don't last. I think back to my relationships when I was in high school and, and even uh, after that, and they, they wanted to rationalize. I wanted to rationalize too. At least we had fun. It just leaves a really awful taste in my mouth then and now. That's not what I was in it for, just to have fun. They don't deliver. Now, my marriage, on the other hand, delivers. My marriage brings me joy. It brings glory. That's what I should be about. That's an investment that grows. That is something that is eternal in scope. That's something that has meaning. That's something that has value. I think Christmas helped reveal some of those problems in my life. My plans would bring fun. And then I find that I'm my own worst enemy. I'm about bringing fun, things that don't last into my life, because I don't know better. And so I guess the question is, how do we get at that? How do we be about eternity? How do we be about more than fun? How do we be more about success or experiences? When we think about our families and what we want to lead our families to be, to do, when we think about just having fun, or do we think about having meaning? Do we think about just having good experiences or being a well-rounded child, and which are all good things, right? They're fun. But do they have lasting meaning? Do they have lasting value? Because we're not built for fun. Fun fails. Meaning has eternal consequences and eternal glory. And so the gauge for us today in this is, I think, the question, does your family love the truth? You see, I believe that the truth is what helps us get at eternity. If we want to think about eternity, if we want to think about everlasting life, if we want to think about that meaning, that value, then I think we need to be thinking about truth. 
The truth is what makes fun not enough. Because what we realize is at the end of the candy bar, the candy bar is over. Right? That's the truth. Snickers is a great candy bar. In fact, I had like a giant loaf one that I got at our party. And at the end of it, it was, it was gone. Now I have to get another loaf. It fails. It didn't satisfy me completely, right? Well, <laughs> one way, I was about to throw up. That was a lot of Snickers. Um, fun doesn't last, right? Because the truth is that it will end. The roller coaster is fun for the three minutes and 43 seconds that it is. But then you what? You pull into the station, and you got to wait for the car in front of you. you know, and now you're hot because you're not moving, and now you're hungry because it's been a while, and now you've got to walk 800 yards to the next roller coaster so you can pass 1,500 different shops and buy a lot of crap that'll sit in the shelf, right? That was fun. Now, you see the problem? Truth kind of makes fun not enough. Truth is what makes other things that don't deliver leave a bad taste in your mouth. Truth helps us know that there's more for us. I think our text today, I hope, and the reason I'm bringing it before you, is I hope that it will help us unlock this in our lives, individually, and in our families' lives. But before we dive into our actual text, it begins with a warning. Dad, Mom, Dad particularly, listen to the warning for your families. Listen to the warning for your wife and for your kids. And that warning is this. God stands against those who do not love the truth. God stands against those who do not love the truth. If you look in your Bibles at verse 9, it says, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth, and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Look at all of the activity that's happening here. Look at all of the different actions that are happening. We're going to exercise our Bible study skills. If you are lacking in those, I'd like to remind you that Sip in Scripture is this coming Saturday. Um, but beyond that, we're going to look now with our Bible study skills at verbs. You guys know what verbs are? I like to refer to them as verbiage. We're going to look at the verbiage, all right? What are the action steps? What's going on? And another thing that we want to look at, you guys might be familiar with, is cause and effect, right? Cause and effect. So let's look at the verbiage and the causes and effects that happen in just 9 through 12, those verses that we just read. The first one, the lawless one comes with the power of Satan. Second, False signs and wonders and deception. That's kind of three in one. Why do they come? Because, here's a cause and effect, they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Another cause and effect, God sends a strong delusion. Why? So that they may believe what is false and that they may be condemned. Next we see that they did not believe truth. And finally we see that they have pleasure in unrighteousness. That's pretty intense. That's a lot going on in just a few short verses that really paint a pretty ugly picture of what it means to be under the influence of the lawless one. Now let me be clear. Dad, there's a war raging right now. A war for your heart, your mind, your body, your spirit, your house, your wife, your kids, your very life. 
That's the truth. That's the reality. That is the current state of affairs in this world. You hear people on the radio or on TV or on Facebook talking about, I can't believe what the world is coming to. We've got all this violence that's happening. We are too far away from the history of the world to understand what violence means. World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, Civil War. I'll take you back into the ancient world where people died daily for no good reason. We think about what the world is now. It is a peaceful world. It's just a noisy one. We just hear about everything that happens in the village just down the street, whereas it could have taken two weeks to find it out before. And you never hear anything beyond 100 miles. And how long it took for people to understand that they were in a revolutionary war for America? A while. You could have had 15 battles before people even found out that they're in a war. There's a lot going on. But guys, you're in a war right now. You're in a war right now. That is the reality. Mom, your husband is at war to protect your heart, your mind, your body, your kids, your family. Mom, you yourself are at war for your heart, mind, body, and family. Kids, there's a war for you. There's a war going on right now for you. There's a war going on for your heart, for your mind, for your body, and for your very life. And so when I ask the question, do you or does your family love truth, you better have an answer. I better have an answer. If I'm at war, if my wife is at war, if there is a war raging in my household from my family, then I better have an answer to the question, do you love truth? This passage tells us that Satan is at work. You say, well, Rusty, the context says at the coming of the lawless one. And I would say, well, you, the context <laughs> says in verse 7 that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. This is not something that is going to one day come. It will one day come in full force with the lawless one, and it is revealed and unrestrained, which is scary. But it's, at, it's in effect now. The mystery of lawlessness is in effect now. It's already at work. And so here's my concern, church. Here's my concern. It's not just a warning and to freak you out. This is the concern. We are fighting a battle for truth, but it's not just the acquisition of knowledge or truth as we might know it. And that's the dangerous part. It's not just about knowing truth. It's not just about gaining more. That's not where the crux of this passage falls. It's not just about gaining more. That certainly is a part of it, but that's not how you win the battle. It's about knowing the truth and loving the truth. This is not something that you are unfamiliar with at Renovation. We've talked about this for a long time. We have to love truth. The danger is that we underestimate the power of the enemy. The danger is that we be ensnared by false signs and wonders that they talk about, allured by deception and taken captive by it. The danger is that we would stubbornly refuse to love the truth. And so the consequences are that God, God confirms our delusion and He ensures our disbelief that we may be condemned as we take all the more pleasure in our unrighteousness. 
That's a considerable danger. The destiny of your family is at stake. And here, you just thought it was another Sunday, another year. We're just going to start 2016 and keep doing the same thing. We can't. We can't just do the same thing. That's not what is prudent. That's not what is good for the situation at hand. That's not dealing with reality. So before I get to the good news, let's do the gut check, all right? Dads, I'm not going to pull any punches, all right? I hope you hear my heart here. The question is not just, does your family love the truth, okay? The question is not just, does your family love the truth? The other question is this, does your family hate unrighteousness? Does your family hate sin? So, Dad, let's talk. When is the last time that you apologized to your kid? When was the last time that you apologized to your kid? When was the last time that you confessed sin to your family? Dads, if we're not at war against unrighteousness ourselves in our own lives, then don't tell me and don't fool yourself into believing that your family hates unrighteousness. Our actions betray us. You see, I am terribly unrighteous, and I hate it. And I do. I hate it. I hate that I'm so weak, and I hate that a two-year-old can expose that kind of flaw in me. And so, how do I teach my daughter not to take pleasure in making her sister cry and hitting her and being defiant and having to get her own way when dad can snap at her or he can pout when things don't go his way. The truth is, I'm a giant two-year-old. Very giant two-year-old. I'm a giant two-year-old. Let's switch gears. Moms, I may be good at the Pinterest, but I'm still a dad, all right? So I'm going to try to ascend to your like plane of existence here and try to meet you where you're at. All right. Sin is rather universal, after all. But let me see if I can't try to show how this applies for you. How does your dress, or the way you dress your daughter, teach her to hate unrighteousness? How does it teach her to know that she is loved by the king of the universe, no matter what she looks like, because he carefully crafted her? What does your time in front of the mirror teach her about that? How do your standards for their room teach them how they are valued? How does your attention to your husband show them that they don't come first and that they are loved best when honor and respect is given upwards? Now, it's rough, guys. I understand. It's a battle. It's a battle. But I have no business saying that I've proclaimed war as a family on unrighteousness when I can't apologize to my daughter because I snapped at her. I have to face that. I have to face the fact that I also am unrighteous. And I need forgiveness just as much as she does. So, take this warning. Tuck it away. Understand that it is a reality. You see the active opposition of God against 
people who love unrighteousness. It doesn't matter what translation you use. It says in verse 11, Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned. That's the reality. The word for that that we don't use often, you're used to the term election. The opposite of that would be reprobation. 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 That's essentially the opposite of election. Now, look at what it's based off of. Look at what it's based off of. They continued to have pleasure in unrighteousness. Verse 12. They were deceived and they refused to love the truth. Verse 10. The way to hate unrighteousness rather than find pleasure in it, the way to love truth rather than refuse, refuse to submit to it, is unlocked for us, I think, in verse 10 itself. It says because they refuse to love the truth. See, there's no good news if you don't recognize the danger, if you don't recognize the warnings. So be warned. God stands against those who do not love the truth. But verse 10 gives us the good news. It unlocks the key to this so that we can see what the good news looks like in verse 13. But it starts back in verse 10. So what is the good news? Believer, you've been called to glory. Believer, you have been called to glory. Verse 13 says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So my assumption today, as I look out here, is that most of you, if not all of you, are believers. That's Paul's assumption in writing this letter to his audience. And so I am, for the most part, moving with the assumption that most, if not all, of you are saved. And so if you are, my conclusion, the rest of this, is to encourage you. All right? There is lots at stake, but there is lots of hope. For those, because believer, you've been called to glory. And so having grasped the warning and seeing the gravity of it, let's proceed with the joy that is present in this letter to those believers in Thessalonica. Our posture, even in having been warned, right, and even in the warning, should be thankfulness. Should be thankfulness. But how do we make that 180? How do we make a 180 from the warning that happens earlier in chapter 2, to all of a sudden, we ought always to give thanks to God. How does that work? Well, our handy-dandy Bible reading skills give us the words and phrases that unlock this for us. If you look in verse 13 and in verse 14. In verse 13 it says, we can be thankful because, right? Because God chose you. Because is a very powerful word when you're asking the question, why? Because, because God chose you. Why? So that, in verse 14, 
you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you make the 180 from being warned to being thankful all the time? Because and so that. Because and so that. Because God chose you so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, we want to look at this problem. We want to look at this idea of how can my family love truth from two perspectives. The first one I want to deal with is the emotional perspective. I think emotionally we have no excuse to not be thankful. I think emotionally we have absolutely no excuse to not be thankful. Let's get kind of technical here and really pick this apart because there's a lot of good reasons here. The first thing, we were chosen. We were chosen. Then look at how we are loved by the Godhead, the Trinity. You see the Trinitarian language popping up all over this passage? We will always give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord. It's a deity name for Jesus. Because God, back to the Father, chose you as the first fruits to be saved through th sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. You see the Trinitarian language is popping up all over here. We were chosen and we were loved by God. Look at the little tiny thing in between the, the commas there in first, the first verse. Brothers, beloved by the Lord. Paul does this all the time. He just throws in random little phrases that don't necessarily contribute to the point. He just can't help it because he likes words and he likes to worship. And so those two things kind of just fit in here. He could say, we ought always to give thanks to God for you because God chose you. Well, I can just say that, or I can throw in this little piece. Brothers, you are beloved by the Lord. You see how love plays a factor in everything that God is doing in this whole point of the calling and the glorification of the believer. Paul doesn't just throw things in for no good reason. He doesn't throw things in for no good reason. We're going to see this word again later. But he's doing this because you are beloved by Jesus. You're beloved by Jesus. So emotionally, we were chosen. We were loved by the Godhead, the Trinity. We are being sanctified. And sanctification typically has a tough connotation. But the reality is, of, is not just pain and, you know, dealing with sin. That, yeah, that's part of sanctification. What's the point of sanctification? What's the definition of it? To be made to look like Jesus. That's incredible. D does your sanctification, your view of sanctification change when you understand that it's not just to be a better Christian, when it's not just to actually, you know, be a good member, when it's not just to be a good kid, a good husband, a good father, a good wife? Sanctification is make me look like Jesus. Make me look like Jesus. That's incredible. We continue to see that we're recipients of the gospel call. I mean, can we actually understand these things and not be thankful emotionally? I mean, I'm pretty reserved, but I, I can't even get through Come Behold a Wondrous Mystery without tearing up and my inner is just like fluttering. I mean, the same thing is true of movies with dogs, so I don't know. But you know what I'm saying? It wraps you up when you get it. When you can wrap your mind around the fact that you've been chosen. And then find out that you haven't even begun to get around the idea. And you get to the fact of pondering and thinking upon, God loves me. How can you not be thankful? 
Seriously, the magnitude of the activity of God on our behalf is staggering. It should, it must stir our affections. Or else, we don't love the truth. You see, these are the truths. When we look back at the earlier part of chapter 2 and it says they did not love the truth, you ask, what are the truths? This. This is the truth. This is the truth that he's concerned about. This is what he says the believers must love. This is what he's saying they can be thankful for. So emotionally, I think we are without excuse. Intellectually, I also would say that we are without excuse not to be thankful. If you look at our passage, it says that we are the first fruits. We know that we have been chosen first. We are part of the first fruits along with Christ being the primary. We see also that we have belief in the truth by the Spirit. So if you want to nod your head at anything and just assent it today, that would be this. We have belief in the truth by the Spirit. Verse 15 tells us that we have been instructed. So intellectually, we have been given the instruction by Paul, the Word. I think Paul's appealing to more than just these three chapters. I think the implication is the revelation of God, the entire Bible. Anything that he has revealed it has been given to us, and we've been instructed in it. And so, these truths are meant to move us to thankfulness. These truths should also move us to thankfulness. And so we find that truth should be known, it should be loved, and it should be moved. The truth should be moving. My favorite way of enacting that is just to return that truth to the truth giver. In singing, when you sing, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery, you're not coming up with anything new. You're singing truth back to the truth giver. When we pray, my favorite way to pray is to pray truth back to the truth giver. I don't appeal to stuff that I know. I don't appeal to stuff that I make up. I'm careful even in how I make my requests to God. I prefer just to say, Father, you know what is going on, and we need to come in accordance to your will. Father, this is what we desire, but we know that you are the Father. We know that you delight in giving good gifts. We know that every good and perfect thing comes from you above, and Father, you do not change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that way, 15 of my 75 words of prayer are mine, and the rest of them are truth, God's truth, going back to the truth giver. It's the same thing that I do in counseling. It's the same thing that I do in trying to help people with problems. I can only come up with so many good things. God's truth is sufficient. Intellectually, we are without excuse. So while the dangers are serious and eternal, believer, you are, you were called to glory. You want to know how I know that we were made for eternity? The reason that Christmas helps me see that there's something more than just this day, that there's something more than even the good virtues that come along with the Christmas season that are just dripping from every Hallmark Christmas movie. It's more than just these nice thoughts. It's more than just happy holidays, and let's not offend anyone. It's more than just peace on earth, goodwill to all men, because that's not a good translation. It's more than that. It's a lot more than that. The reason I know that we were called for eternity, that we were made for something more, is because we were called to the glory of the one seated at the right hand 
of the Father. And so let me encourage you that while the dangers are serious, Dad, you need to be concerned for your kids. Mom, you need to be concerned for your kids. The dangers are serious. We can stand firm because we are held firm. We can stand firm because we are held firm. He says in our text, to stand firm and hold to, to the traditions that you were taught. Mom, Dad, are you holding to the traditions? Are you holding to the truth that you are taught? You want to know why Matt and I push so hard for Sundays, home gatherings, and even those long Friday and Saturday classes, let alone sip the scripture coming this Saturday? Um, it's this it's hold on to the teaching, hold on to the truth. That's why we're so concerned. That's why we push it so much. Hold on to the teaching. Hold on to the truth. Mom and Dad, are you giving truth to your family? Kids, are you getting truth from your mom and dad? Are they giving you the truth that you need? Because Matt and I have to shepherd our family well as elders because shepherding a church is honestly a lot like parenting. We give truth to our family. Because we know that nothing else is worth holding on to. The discipline is led by Matt and I, but it is church enacted. So it's not parenting in that way. It's the provisionary aspect, the shepherding side of it. Instructing and giving truth, because truth is the only thing that we can hold on to. It's the only thing that you can stand firm. It's the only thing that holds you. I've seen people hold to all sorts of things. I've seen kids hold on to all kinds of things, and they crumble and it's not just sad, it's disastrous. It is absolutely disastrous. I'm going to speak intentionally, ambiguously, and at a higher level here for a few moments to try to get above your kids' heads for a few moments. Uh, and then I'll come back down. But l listen, I I've seen young men graduate, go to college, and forsake everything. Forsake everything. Like a prodigal son, which we get excited about because it's a pretty story, but not in this case. The, the sons are still gone. And dad is still standing on the porch waiting. And he's still waiting. I've seen young ladies give themselves to guys who treat them like trash. And then send them home to their fathers and mothers. And they're broken. And now they see their daughters destroyed. And the ripples just move throughout the family as they try to pick up all the pieces. It goes on for years. I've seen kids give up everything they've ever known for the acceptance that comes with drugs. Some just for a time, because at least we had fun, right? And others that are still enslaved to it. I think worst of all, I've seen a daughter take her life at the end of a rope because dad wasn't there for her. Everything crumbles. Everything else crumbles. Grades, schools, basketball, career, spouses, kids. It doesn't matter how old they are or when in their life it occurs. Everything else will crumble. It all crumbles. But you weren't called to that. You're not called to grades. Kids, you're not called to grades. You should get good grades to honor God, but you are not called to them. You're not called to sports. You're not called to a future career. You're called to glory. 
to echo, echo Hebrews uh, last week and even what Greg read for us today, you're called to an eternal kingdom, one that cannot be shaken. That kingdom won't crumble. There is nothing better to give your family. There's nothing better to give yourself. All month we've been talking about looking at the glory of Jesus and understanding that he is superior to everything, right? And we say, well, yeah, God himself is superior to everything. That's easy. Uh, behold it. Stare at it. Chase after it. Be beholden by it. We've been working through that. How do I lead my life? How do I lead my family? Well, we talked through a lot of practicals last week, but what needs to happen is we have to love truth. We have to love truth. This word was given to us to understand. We can understand it. And beyond that, you have been instructed. At the very least, all of you, today, you have been instructed to love God's word. You've been instructed to love God's word. If you look again back at verse 10, I told you that this is the unlocking piece. Here it is again. Because they refused to love the truth. Why are they being deceived? Why are they going to get the delusion sent to them? It's not because they didn't know. It's not because they weren't told. It's not because they hadn't read enough. It's not because we didn't invest enough hours or miss too few Sundays. It's none of that. It's because they didn't love the truth. You have to love it. And so you can stand firm because you are held firm. Now listen to how Paul brings it home. It's beautiful. I'm not going to try to top it. I'm going to read it first in the ESV, and then I'd like to read it in the NIRV for your kids. Let's listen to the ESV. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, May he comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. The NRV says this, Our Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father loved us. By his grace, God gave us comfort that will last forever. The hope he gave us is good. May our Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father comfort your hearts. May they make you strong in every good thing you do and say, Just as God has chosen those and confirms those who love unrighteousness and condemns them, and justly so, he has called believers. He's called believers to salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has called believers to glory. You were made for more than this earth. Because your families were made for more than this earth. The election that we have, the calling of God on our lives is meant to be security. It's meant to be hope. It's meant to be something that we hold on to. How do you teach your kids to love the truth? You value it. You give it to them. These truths may sound difficult. How do you explain to your kids that God sends delusions to condemn people? It's easy. It really is. 
love the truth and you'll begin to see it unfold in your life and then in your kid's life. As you begin to explain to them something as complicated as reprobation, being, guys, we have bad hearts. I like to do bad things. I love unrighteousness. I love sinning. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. But Jesus doesn't want that for us. Jesus wants to give us a new heart. He wants us to love him. He wants us to love truth. He wants us to love good things. And so every day, I try to stop sinning. But it's not just something that I try to do. I love Jesus, and Jesus helps me love him more. And since I know that Jesus loves me and that I'm his forever, I know that we win. (laughs) We win. What kid doesn't love winning? Show me them. We win. We have a hope that is forever. This, This truth that God gives us gives us comfort. May they make you strong in every good thing you do and say. As you can bring election, you can bring reprobation, you can bring propitiation to your kids. Good truths of God. But only if you love them. I want to tell you today that your family was made for more than eternity. This next year can be the same as this year. I don't know where you'll be a year from now, but I hope you will see growth in your family. But I know this, the families that love truth will stand. And the families that don't will continue to enjoy unrighteousness. So before you go home and start just giving truth to your kids, I want you to take time to give truth to you, okay? Look at your life. What have you been hanging on to? What do you love too much to let go? See, if you are still struggling with the same sin this year that you were a year ago, this is a good time for reflection, you may be a lover of unrighteousness. And we need to sort out if we love the truth ourselves. So go. Hope your family love truth by you loving truth first yourself. And then give it. It is the only thing that won't crumble. Let's look good forward to a, a good 2016 as we work hard in our identity as family members. It's something that we talk about often in our identities is that it doesn't just affect us. It affects everyone, and probably none more so than family. And we understand that the way that we live our lives has serious implications for those around us. That as we have families that are strong, the families around us get stronger. So let's continue to live out our identity as family and look forward to a new year. Thank you, guys. Uh, We're going to sing one last song, um, and then we'll dismiss. Have the band come forward. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Father, we thank you for truth. At this Christmas, uh, we see that it was a good time. We got awesome gifts, and we had a great time with family. But, Father, that's not enough. It's not enough. We were made for something more. We were made for eternity. We were made to be with you. We were made for something more than having fun. We were made for something more than experiences. We were made for something more than all of that. 
And Father, this Christmas you reminded me of that. And Father, you also remind me that the way I can love truth is by loving the one that came because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Father, we come to you by him. We experience all that we are supposed to experience. We grow in the way that we are supposed to grow. Father, we lead our families in the way that we are supposed to lead because we follow the truth, the one and only truth. And Father, help us love that more and help us seek to desire it more than anything else as we understand that we were called to glory. Father, we love you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.